what do you fear the most? You know, I searched the internet, and here are the most common fears of humanity. Number one is the fear of death. They fear perhaps the dying or losing a loved one. Second, a lot of people fear public speaking. And I can affirm, because this was me many years ago, many, many years ago, public speaking brings anxiety, and uh, many people fear speaking in front of large audiences. Some people fear heights. I think many of you here fear heights. They fear enclosed spaces. It brings uh, anxiety whenever they are in enclosed spaces, such as elevators, small rooms, tunnels. Some people fear insects. Here in the Philippines, I believe we fear flying cockroach. And even when you know cockroaches are small and that it cannot, it cannot eat you alive, whenever it flies, you start running and you take over. We fear. Some people fear the dark, while some fear failure, fear of the unknown, fear of diseases and illnesses, fear of the supernatural. You know, we all have fears, don't we? Whether they are rooted in our anxieties of today or in the uncertainties of our future. In our message today, I believe Moses and the Israelites faced their greatest fears in Exodus chapter 33. And that is losing God's approval or God's presence, God's favor among them. The fear of... The fear of losing God's favor or presence should also be one of our fears that resonates with us as well. We do not want to lose God's favor. We do not want to lose His approval or His presence in our lives. But with, before we dive into our text this morning in Exodus chapter 33, let me clarify, what do we mean or what do I mean by God's presence? Because we believe in God's omniscience or omnipresence, His constant presence everywhere, every time, or all the time. Like David in Psalm 139 when he said, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. So God is omnipresent. He cannot really be absent. However, for our message this morning, when we speak of God's presence, whenever I speak of God's presence, we mean His joyous, His delightful, His glorious presence, His blessing, His approval, His presence that brings joy, healing, power, and favor upon His people. Sure, God is always present, but His delight, His pleasure, His favor, and His joyful presence can be withdrawn from our lives. His minimum presence in the person of the Holy Spirit will always be in our lives when we place our trust in Jesus. You know, what do I mean? Maybe this will uh, help us understand what I'm talking about. You know, like a teacher who is physically present in a classroom, but disengaged with her students because of how they treat her. They are unruly, they are disrespectful, uninterested, and they do not listen. Or perhaps when you have a spouse but your spouse is dismissing you or ignoring you in displeasure because you have done something wrong or you have been unfaithful. Yes, physically present, but perhaps emotionally or relationally absent or distant because the joy, the favor, the pleasure, the closeness, the approval, the intimacy of the relationship is gone. 
Have you been in those types of relationships? Diba? It's difficult and it's also challenging, isn't it? Our passage today, Exodus chapter 33, captures a profound, intimate encounter between Moses, the Israelites, and God. And this, I believe, serves as a powerful reminder of how our actions and how our attitude can impact our relationship with our Savior, with our Almighty God. You know, just a way of background, the Israelites, they were God's chosen people. They held a unique responsibility, not only to live according to God's standards, but also to carry the gift of God's special presence with them. This presence was a symbol of their distinctive identity and their, their unique relationship as God's people. And in this chapter, in chapter 33, we find them at a pivotal moment in their history. God led them out of bondage in Egypt. They witnessed the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. They received the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Yes, yet as they journeyed towards the Promised Land, they encountered challenges and difficulties that affected their relationship with God. In fact, in Exodus chapter 32, which is the context of our passage today, one significant instance in their journey was their creation of the golden calf. And this served as a crucial point in their journey because they turned away from God's command and chose to worship a false idol. As a result, you, would, might, be, you might be surprised that as a, as a result, it jeopardized their unique relationship with God so much so that God threatened to withdraw His presence, His powerful presence with them. You know, as we look at this, we certainly want to avoid the mistakes. So the question for us is this, how do we drive out God's presence in our lives? What does it mean when God chooses to withdraw His presence or to be absent? What are the consequences of His absence? And what can we do to pursue God's presence in our lives? So this is what we will be looking at in Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 to, 20, verses 1 to 23. Exodus chapter 33, let's read our text, Exodus 33, verses 1 to 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. In this passage, we can notice several key points. That first, God instructs Moses to go to the promised land, and God reminds him, of his promise to give the land to his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which God will fulfill, if you notice, by sending an angel and by driving out all the ites, the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Jebusite, the Hivite, and so on. However, what is striking, I believe, however, because, of, because the Israelites had repeatedly sinned and rebelled against God during their journey from Egypt to this point, such as yung verse, chapter 32 where they worship the golden calf, God threatened to withdraw His presence from among them. 
In verse 3, For I will not go up in your midst, the Lord said. I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked, meaning they are stubborn or they are disobedient people. And this is where we get our first biblical principle on how we pursue God's presence in our lives. The number one, we are to avoid sin and evil that drive away God's presence. Avoid sin and evil that drive away God's presence. Let me just clarify again. The withdrawal of God's presence doesn't mean that God abandons us entirely. We believe He is omnipresent and we believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, His Spirit remains with His people. We have an assurance a guarantee that He will never leave us nor forsake us and that sin cannot separate us from our position as His children. But what sin can do and will do is to affect the condition of our relationship with Him. It will disrupt our fellowship with Him where the depth of intimacy and the sense of His presence, His approval, His favor, His blessing and His delight in our lives can be affected because of the sin and evil that is in us. You know, like King David in Psalm 51, King David, the man after God's own heart, after he sinned with Bathsheba, he feared the loss of God's presence and asked God not to, not to cast him away from his presence. Not that God will no longer be omnipresent, but that David would lose God's favor, God's delightful presence and his approval of him because of his sinful actions. God threatened to withdraw his presence from the Israelites. You know why? Because God, who is a holy God, cannot mix or can, is incompatible with evil and sin that is present in the Israelites during that time. But look at verse 2. Instead of his direct presence, God promises, you see, God's still faithful. God promises to send an angel before the Israelites to guide them and to protect them on their journey and to ensure that He still fulfills His promise to them, that they will be able to reach the promised land. But He is uh, staying from a distance. In verse 4, when the people heard this bad news, in verse 4, what did they do? They mourned, and no one put on His ornaments. No one put on earrings or makeup or something. No one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. Grabe, no? You are a stiff-necked people. Meaning you are disobedient. You are hard-headed. You are stubborn. And God said, I could come up in your midst in one moment and consume you. Meaning kill them. Punish them. Now therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. In verse 6, So the children of Israel stripped themselves off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. When the people heard of God, that God would not go up among them because of their sin and their stubbornness, they responded with mourning. They stripped themselves off of their ornaments and their accessories or their accessories. And they recognized that God's disfavor or the loss of God's presence was a devastating development to them. You know, the people were aware of this sin. That was good, I would say. But many of us, many of us don't see the gravity of sin and don't see what we will lose out on because of it. So their, their reaction, the reaction of the Israelites, I would say, is understandable. Because what do you think happens when God withdraws His presence? 
when God withdraws His favor or His hand of blessing in our lives, what do you think happens? God's withdrawal of His presence or His absence, I would say, results in the production or in the presence of evil. Presence of evil, presence of chaos, of sin, of disorder, of moral decay, and so on. When God is absent, when the source of light, of love, of goodness, of beauty removes His favor and His presence and His approval on you, it naturally produces a negative or its negative counterpart, evil. And evil will take more space in your life. Evil will take more space in your life. Hindi ba nakakatakot yun? Kumbaga, in this sanctuary full of light, when you remove the light source or all the, the, the bulbs and the light, it automatically, yung natural consequence of removing light is that darkness will soon fill this place. It will be dark. If you go to a dark room, let's say if you go to a dark room, light a candle, light, of course, will occupy space. Light will shine. But once you blow out that candle, once you remove the light, darkness will set in, isn't it? When God's presence or God's favor is withdrawn from you, you don't have to intentionally invite or call evil to your life because it will naturally take place because God is absent. When God withdraws His presence, we become open and available to evil, to darkness, to sin, to emptiness, and so on. And perhaps I would say this is the opportunity that Satan is looking for in our lives. You know, how many times have we seen how families have been broken apart Marriages torn, relationships uh, strained, sin and addiction, moral decay become rampant in society. In any country, in any law, in any community, in any culture, or even in families, when God is not there, when God is not honored, when God is not acknowledged, what happens is that more evil will come in. And the more and more we drive God out, whether intentionally or unintentionally, the more and more evil will set in our lives. Moses and the Israelites didn't want that. God threatened to withdraw His presence from them. I believe neither do we. So it's important for us to know, how do we drive God's presence out of our lives? Because many times we are unaware of it, and so that we can also avoid uh, this sin or this error. When we look at the example of the Israelites in chapter 32, when they committed sin, we realize the following. Number one, sin. They committed idolatry and they did something that God said that they should not do. So sin drives out God's presence or God's favor in our lives. What else did they commit? They were impatient. Impatient. How many of us impatient? You know, as, parang as simple as impatient, it could drive out God's presence they were impatient while waiting for Moses on Mount Sinai. They feared that Moses wouldn't return and they became restless. They were impatient. They couldn't wait. And impatience, yung impatience, of course, which, what side is it? Is it on the good side or on the evil side? It's evil, of course. And the more evil we allow to set in our lives, the less of God's presence. We drive out God's presence. What else did the Israelites experience? They were anxious, perhaps overthinking. 
anxiousness, their restlessness because they couldn't wait for Moses, prompted them to take action that later on, they would regret. You know, many of us also are overthinkers. Diba? Marami sa atin overthinkers as well. It hasn't happened yet. Yet, uh, but we are already uh, very afraid. They lack faith. Medyo na late lang or na delay lang ng baba si Moses. Uh, they look for another God to worship. They built the golden calf. They lack gratitude. Ingratitude also drives God's presence out of our lives. Imagine after all the miracles that God had done to them, parting of the Red Sea, they were ex- able to experience the manna, the, the cloud, the pillar of cloud, and so on. But they still turned to an idol simply because they couldn't wait for Moses. It drives, ingratitude drives God's presence out of our lives. Rebellion, yeah, obviously they doubted God. And then grumbling and then complaining. Yeah, many of them were complaining about their situation in the wilderness. They were reflecting discontent. No, there are many things that is, I would say, very natural to us that if we are unaware of it, it drives out God's presence in our lives. Hindi lang sin and evil. You know, anong kulang dito? What I wanted to add? Yung ano, sleeping in church. Yan. Hindi, joke lang. Drives out God's presence. <laughs> you know, these are, these are the works of the evil so that we are, we also experience, that we also experience in our daily lives. You are impatient in time many times. We're overthinkers. We're complainers. We complain, bakit ang taba-taba na natin? Ganyan. Complain, pero samgyup tayo ng samgyup. Ganyan. Or lahat ng buffet, uh, yung 50% off sa Gloria Maris, 50% off sa shoe, then next, wildflower, lahat inatendan natin. <laughs> We are also grumblers and complainers. And these actions, yung, yung what I mentioned a while ago, the actions and attitude drive out the presence of God from His people because God doesn't want to reside, let me say this, that God doesn't want to reside in a heart that is controlled or dominated by evil, by bad attitude, by bad action. And so it drives out God's presence among them. You know, I notice in our house or actually wherever, Pag may ipis or daga, kung you have problem with ipis or daga, you know, no matter how loud you shout at them or how matter, parang no matter how how much prayer you make or how much command you do to them for for them not to enter the, your house. But if your house is not clean, there are crumblings of chicharon on the floor or the chips or there are unwashed dishes or garbage. You know, they will surely keep coming back because dirt attracts them. Evil attracts more evil. Dirt attracts them. You know, dito sa church, when we were doing maintenance, one of our issues, we had bats. Yung panike, bats. They keep hanging on our lights dyan sa labas, if you notice. Kasi yung light fixtures ng church, parang there's a space for them to hang. So every time, they would hang, and then the next morning, there's dirt all over the floor. And we realized that no matter how much you shout at them, how much you pray, Lord, wag na silang babalik, but if they have something to hold on to, they keep coming back. They keep coming back. You know, in our lives, if our lives are not clean, so to speak, we live in sin and impurity, and there's a lot of evil, Satan and evil will keep coming back because they know they are welcome to stay in our lives. Yes, I would say no one is perfect. We are imperfect. God is the healer. There is repentance, restoration, and all. He is ready to help us. He will never leave us. 
But we have a responsibility to play in our lives and that is to avoid sin and evil that drive away God's presence. And that is what the Israelites needed to learn. Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 to 11. Let's continue. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside his camp. Look at what Moses did. He pitched it outside his camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. And verse 8, So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people arose and each man stood at the tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked to Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to camp, but his servant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. In these verses, the passage 7 to, 7 to 11, we see how Moses took it upon himself to set up a special tent. Because of the situation where God threatened to withdraw, the response of Moses was he set up a special tent and called the tabernacle of meeting. It was outside the camp or outside their, their area of stay. And this place, this tent served as a designated place where he sought to meet God. And whenever Moses entered the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, the Lord would descend in a pillar of cloud and speak to him face to face, like how one friend or one speaks to a friend. In short, Moses took responsibility for his spiritual journey, setting an example for us to do the same. And I believe this brings us our second biblical principle in pursuing God's presence in our lives. And it is to take responsibility to cultivate an intimate relationship with God and to ensure our own spiritual well-being. I believe this resonates with the anniversary sermon of our, uh, that we had a few weeks ago. To take responsibility to cultivate an intimate relationship with God and to ensure our own spiritual well-being. Moses took responsibility by being proactive in his approach. What did he do? He took the initiative to set up the tabernacle of meeting outside the camp in verse 7, which demonstrates the importance of actively seeking God and creating opportunities for us to encounter Him. The people sinned. Yes, God threatened to withdraw. Yes, but Moses chose to do what is needed to get right with God, showing us that a meaningful, a deep relationship with God requires our intentional efforts and our consistent commitment to our own spiritual growth and well-being. What this teaches us is that you have the power to control how you respond to situation. You have the power to control how you respond to problems or to issues. There were two construction workers that had taken a lunch break and opened, their, opened up their lunch boxes. One of them looked inside the box, his box, and said, uh, and saw a dried fish and shouted, Not again! I can't believe, I can't believe it! I hate dried fish! This is the fifth time this week I've had dried fish. I can't stand this fish. The other one said, why don't you just ask your wife to make you something different? Then he replied, 
I don't have a wife. I made this myself. Parang baliw lang, no? You know, many times, many times, the dissatisfaction in our lives are the result of our own choices and our own routines. And if we want our lives to be any different from the same old problem, the same old pattern, then we must break free from our old routines and proactively seek new ones. Notice in verse 7, the location of the tabernacle of meeting that Moses set up. Though outside the camp, it was accessible to everyone who sought the Lord. It's a place where they can go and meet with God. This accessibility shows us that people have the opportunity to engage and to connect with God if they choose to do so. If they choose to do so. The place has already been made available. All they have to do, guess what? What do they have to do? All they have to do is to take responsibility. By taking advantage of the accessibility means they have, just have to go and draw near to God. They just have to enter. They just have to go to it. You know, as I look at this, as I look at this, I realize that there are things that are already made available for each one of us. Spiritually, there are things that already we can claim it, parang we can afford, we can avail of it because of the redemptive blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, easily accessible, forgiveness. God has already made those things available for each one of us. Forgiveness, new life, hope, redemption, grace, salvation, security, purpose. All those have been made available by our Savior and all we need to do individually as our responsibility is to, is to draw near our Savior. That's why in our church here, we can only say, we say we can only do much. We can only do as much or so much. We try our best to make our resources available and accessible. We create programs, messages, events, uh, everything. Sabi ko nga, kulang na lang, tumambling-tambling yung mga staff and yung mga leaders natin. That we hope will draw people to God, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it will still be the choice of the individual to draw near to God. Notice in verse 8 to 10, if you look at it, notice the posture of the people. When Moses entered the place of meeting, the people showed reverence and watchfulness. They showed reverence and watchfulness. They waited on God. And when they, the people saw the pillar of cloud, which was a sign of God's presence, what did they do? They rose and they worshipped. This shows us that when we seek God, our heart's posture, so to speak, should be to give Him the highest respect, the highest worship, recognizing the greatness and the holiness of our Lord. You know, could you imagine what it looks like uh, in our worship today? You know, I'm sure that Come on here, you've received an invitation. You don't, you don't have to raise your hands. Huh? I'm sure you've received an invitation maybe um, to visit maybe the White House or Malacanang or any presidential or super VIP friend of yours that you love or you look up to. I'm sure if you've received that invitation to go to that place, you will prepare, di ba? Best outfit, best smile. You will come there early, best posture, uh, best everything, lahat, best, you will prepare maybe a speech, you will listen well or what, or so, and so on. And you will pay, wait patiently in the reception area or wherever, wait patiently. And once you see the presence of that president or that special BIP, for sure you would give the highest respect. You wouldn't ignore 
I'm sure you would stand, you would bow down, you would welcome, you would greet, you would give him a handshake. And in the conversation, you, I'm sure you would make an effort to listen to every word that he says and look him eye to eye because you recognize and you give respect to the highest official. Diba? Now Moses and the Israelites waited on the Lord. They were, at the, they were outside their tents, the tent of meeting, and when they saw God's presence, when the cloud, the pillar of cloud descended as a sign of God's presence, they rose and they worshipped. You know, today I believe, you know, God is present in this sanctuary. And how does that affect the dynamics of our worship? Siyempre, di ba yung tulog magigising bigla? <laughs> you know, God, I believe, is present in this sanctuary. And He expects the best uh, reverence and uh, the best uh, respect and reverence uh, from us. And lastly, when we take responsibility for our own spiritual well-being and actively seek Him, just like Moses, God is gracious and He will allow us to encounter Him. God is gracious and He will allow us to encounter Him. Jeremiah 29.13, I think this is one of your favorite verses. God said to the Israelites, And you will seek me and find me when you search me with all of your heart assuring them that He is accessible and responsive to those who earnestly seek Him. Someone said, God shows up to people who are ready to encounter Him. You know, are you taking responsibility? Are you taking active steps to ensure that you are spiritually uh, well, your spiritual well-being? When I was in a Bible school, uh, many years ago, one of our activities during our anniversary week or foundation week was called an open house, open house, where we open doors for visitors to enter and take a look at our rooms in the dormitory. Because during that time, we were required to stay in the dormitory. And so during, op- during foundation week or anniversary week, there's open house. As a preparation, of course, our students would clean their rooms. They would lay out the welcome mats. They would set the lights. Some would even put special decors, candies, and play soft music to welcome the guests. But what I've noticed over the years of having an open house event is that visitors would not want to enter a room that looks unprepared for a visit. Where the bed is not tidied, uh, dirty clothes still hanging, and the uncleanliness is all over the room. I noticed that guests would choose to visit rooms that, that they see are well-prepared. Friends, how are we preparing ourselves so that we are ready for a visit from God? Are we ready for an encounter with our Lord? Would someone want to visit your house? So, Would you be embarrassed if God or others came and saw your house unprepared because you have not taken responsibility to ensure your spiritual well-being? Like Moses, take responsibility to cultivate an intimate relationship with God and ensure our own spiritual well-being. Verses 12 to 23, our last part. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know, uh, let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have found grace in my sight. Verse 13, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your, show me your way that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Let me stop there. In this verses, note, Moses was having a conversation with God. 
and their dialogue reveals to us some profound insights about how Moses desired to seek God, God's guidance, and to know Him more deeply. Notice here the first request because this eventually is a parang threefold or three-part request. His first request was, Lord, show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And what was the response of God in verse 14? God said to him, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Parang may change. May God, uh, uh, parang God had a change. Uh, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. Because perhaps he saw the sincerity and the earnest desire of Moses uh, to commune with him. Verse 15, Then he said, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring, up, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I, I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Notice yung second request ni Moses for God's presence to go with them. And God responds by assuring Moses that his presence will go with them and the result will be that Moses will find rest. I like particularly verse 15, the words of Moses. If your presence does not go with us, if you, your favorable presence, if your approval is not here, if your favor is not here, if you are not delighted in this, do not bring us up from here. We're not moving. So the Lord said to Moses in verse 17, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Verse 18, and he said, please show me your glory. Then God said, I will make my goodness, all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, God said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see my face and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, so it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses' third request and ultimate request to God was a profound one. He was asking God, Lord, show me your glory, which means that he wanted to know God more or in a deeper way. There's a deep longing for a more intimate understanding of God. And God's response to Moses was this. God explained to him, no one can see his face and live. Because we cannot fathom. God is overwhelming. We cannot, we cannot absorb all his goodness. We will die. But in an act of great favor, God offered a shelter. God offered a shelter to Moses. And that is the cleft of the rock. Shielding him from his hand as he passed by, Moses was privileged in this case to experience a richer encounter with God's presence and an affirmation of his favor as he continued to guide the Israelites. Remember, despite their sins, despite the sins of the Israelites, God already affirmed his faithfulness to them. It's not that he will no longer bring them to the promised land, but in verses 1 to 5, God already promised them that, okay, I will, I will send you to the promised land like what I, what I promised to your forefathers. I will fulfill it. 
assuring them of success, of wealth, of protection. However, to Moses, this interaction teaches us a crucial truth. Material wealth, success, and even fulfilled promises are meaningless if God's abiding presence is not there. All the blessings, the material gains, the success would be empty and meaningless without God. And this realization is a timeless lesson for all of us, I believe. And this leads us to our third and last biblical principle. Pursue God above material provisions, knowing that our deepest longings can only be satisfied in a deep and abiding presence of God. You know, let me ask you, if you were in that situation of Moses or the Israelites where you will surely be successful, God has already promised you it will happen. You will reach your dreams. You will reach your ambitions. You will be successful. You will be, uh, you will be rich. Yeah, you will have land. Uh, plus, you will have angels to watch over you. Who among you or who among us today will say, Lord, deal, G, game. Tuloy natin yan. Game tayo dyan, successful. Okay. May, diba? Gusto natin yan. May angels pa tayo. But to Moses, he said, Lord, if your presence is not there, if your approval, if your favor is not there, if your blessing is not there, if you are not honored in this, Lord, wag na lang. Wag na lang. And this question, I believe, yung question ko a while ago, raises an important, and I would say a thought-provoking situation for all of us. Because it underscores a common struggle many of us face in our pursuit of success, of wealth, of achievements. While the offer of guaranteed success, wealth, and prosperity may be tempting, you know, many times it comes, uh, it comes with a significant trade-off, which is the compromise of our relationship with God. If we are honest with ourselves, this is what happens often in our lives when we, we become successful, maybe materially, financially, professionally, but sometimes, sadly, at the expense of our walk with God. Sometimes we are so dedicated to our work, to our career, and it results to excessive long hours of work and leaving little time for prayer, leaving little time for God, little time for spiritual reflection. Sometimes we are so busy prioritizing our work commitments that we fail to spend time with God or spend time even with our family. Sometimes we are so preoccupied and focused on material things, luxury items, and we fail to see the value of the spiritual. Sometimes we desire so much financial and professional success that it might lead us to compromise our moral, ethical, Christian values, leading us to engage in dishonest, sometimes business practices or unethical conduct, which damages our spiritual integrity. Moses knew in our passage today that entering the promised land without God's presence was meaningless. Perhaps he understood that economic, Material, political gains alone cannot bring true rest and satisfaction in one's life. Notice in verse 14, he only found genuine rest when God's presence or favor was with him. And this teaches us a valuable lesson, I believe. Like Moses, make choices that prioritize your spiritual well-being and relationship with God, even when faced with opportunities for material gain or success. Because there are things in life that definitely money cannot buy. Money cannot buy. Someone said, what money, uh, what money can buy? Money can buy bed, but not sleep. Money can buy food, but not appetite. Money can buy a home or a house, but not a home. 
Money can buy amusements, but not joy. Acquaintances, but not friend. And so money, there are things in life that money cannot buy. Inner peace, yung rest that Moses experienced, those are things that money cannot buy. I'm sure many of us would pay millions. Some of us maybe would pay millions just to have a peaceful mind and a peaceful heart. Happiness and contentment. Sometimes it is, this is even better. You don't have as much, but you are happy and contented with what God has given you. Money cannot buy genuine friendships. Money cannot buy character, integrity. Money cannot buy sound sleep, clear conscience, and trust in God. Trust that God provides uh, the best sleep of all. Money cannot buy peace of mind. Money cannot buy a right relationship with God. Money cannot buy salvation. And definitely, money cannot buy God's presence or God's favor in your life. You know, let me make it clear. There is nothing wrong with material wealth. It is very good. Actually, it is a blessing from God. And we, can, we are to enjoy it. And actually, we are to make more wealth. Diba yung sa uh, parable of the ten talents, those who have been given ten, they were given ten more because we are supposed to uh, make more wealth. But it shouldn't take priority over our walk with God. Material things can never satisfy our deepest longings. You know, how many stories have we heard of people who are so successful, so rich, but felt empty in the end? Some even decided to take their own lives because they couldn't find purpose and meaning in the achievements and the success, the finances that they have gained. There are more important things that money cannot buy, but only God can satisfy. Now, our deepest longings as human beings, there are a lot, but I would say our deepest longings connection and love. We long for meaningful connection with others, with God. We seek love, we seek companionship, a sense of belonging in our relationship and family. Sometimes, you know, we have so much money and also so much enemy. Walang love, walang connection, walang family. We long for purpose and meaning and significance. We long to discover and understand and fulfill what God made us for. And we want to live a significant, a, a meaningful life. And these things, money cannot buy. It is God who gives it to you. We long for joy, we long for happiness, and one of our deepest longings is for that, to be happy, to be joyful deep inside. And inner joy is something that cannot be bought. You can be rich, but not happy at the same time. So it's a blessing from God when you are rich and happy and joyful at the same time. It's okay yon. We long for peace and eternal security. And no amount of, I, mean, I know you know this, no amount of material wealth will bring us salvation. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can bring us salvation. We long for forgiveness. Forgiveness, money cannot buy peace. Forgiveness is free in our, in our relationship with Jesus. Friends, material things are good, but don't let them take over or take control of your life. In 2005, a Canadian uh, named Kyle McDonald embarked on an ambitious project known as the one red paperclip trade-up challenge. How many of you are familiar with the trade-up challenge? His goal was to start with a single red paperclip and trade it for a series of progressive, uh, progressively more valuable items until he eventually obtained a house. Galing, no? From red paperclip 
to a house. Trade lang siya ng trade. And here's a summary of how Kyle's trade-up journey unfolded. First, his red paper clip, he traded to a fish pen, a ball pen. Second, his ball pen, his fish pen, traded it to a doorknob. Galing na, naging doorknob. And then yung doorknob na yun became a stove, traded it for a stove. So trade up lang siya ng trade up. The stove became a mobile generator, a portable generator. The generator was traded to instant party. There was perhaps instant party package which included uh, beer and neon signs and party props and so on. The instant party was traded to a snowmobile. The snowmobile was traded to a vacation. A vacation, a trip for two to British Columbia. The vacation, I don't know how much uh, it was, was traded to a truck. Imagine, paperclip. It's a truck. And the truck to a recording contract. And then the recording contract was eventually his 10th trade. Imagine, after only 10 trades, was traded to a house. In the final trade, uh, Kyle McDonald secured a year's rent of a house in Phoenix, Arizona in exchange for the recording contract. He had successfully achieved his goal of trading up from a single red paperclip to a house. His remarkable trade-up journey showed us, showed the world the power not only of creativity or determination, but also his wisdom to see and trade something that he has for something of even greater value. Friends, in pursuing God over material things, it is not as if we are losing something. Actually, we are trading up because we are actually gaining something of way, way greater value and our deepest longings as humans are met. When we honor God, I believe God will bless us abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think. He can bless us materially, relationally, spiritually, and in many other ways that money cannot buy. And besides, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds, he adds no sorrow with it. Oh, mas gusto natin yun. He adds no sorrow with it. So friends, like Moses, let us pursue God above all material provisions, knowing that our deepest longings can only be satisfied in a deep and abiding presence of God. In conclusion, the passage in Exodus chapter 33 teaches us a valuable lesson about pursuing God's presence in our lives. And we've explored three biblical principles that can guide us in this endeavor. Avoid sin and evil. Take responsibility for your relationship with God. Pursue God above material provisions, knowing that our deepest longings can only be found, can only be satisfied in the abiding presence of our Lord. As we reflect on these principles, let us strive to ensure or to pursue God's presence in our lives for in doing so, we can experience the joy, the blessing, the power, the favor that come with His special and powerful presence in our lives. Join me in a word of prayer. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. Grant us the wisdom and the desire to seek your presence with great earnestness and devotion. 
we recognize, Lord, that we also need to take action in our lives to draw nearer to you and to experience your presence more. Help us, Father, to be willing, to be ready to set aside time to seek you. Encourage us, Lord, to prioritize prayer, to commune, to commune with you so that we may grow closer to you each day. Allow us, Lord, to be aware of the things in our lives that may drive you away unknowingly or unintentionally. Grant us the wisdom, Lord, to recognize the distractions, the idols that pull us away from your presence. Guide us in our daily choices, in our daily decisions, so that we may reflect your character in all we do and let our actions, Lord, be a testament of our faith to you and a source of hope and inspiration to the many around us. Father, we thank you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.